Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 55. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes of the future. This episode, I sit down with Kelsey Burris. Kelsey is currently the science department chair at Union High School in Camas, Washington. Kelsey has been teaching AP Biology for nearly two decades and has also participated as a reader for many AP Biology exams. Kelsey has worked as a college board consultant for AP Biology and AP Insight, a role in which he has presented one-day and week-long workshops throughout the world. Kelsey earned his BA in Biology and Chemistry from Concordia University in Portland, Oregon, and a Master's in Education from Florida Gulf Coast University. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you for having me. Yeah, last time we saw each other was uh, at the in an Uber at the <laughs> going to the airport. <laughs> yeah, g- getting out of the reading early that was uh, that was a plus for sure. Yeah, yeah, we both. Uh, I I don't know if you moved up your flight, but I moved up my flight. I think you moved oh, your flight up. And, absolutely. Uh, and we uh, it was like the second they let us out, we we're like, how, yeah, how how fast can we get out of Kansas City? And t- <laughs> talking to people who flew out the next day, it sounded like we. Uh, we did the smart thing. Oh yeah, well that's good to hear. Yeah, that 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 airport may be the worst airport in the United States I've been through. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's it's a nice little airport. I'm sure if you don't have like a thousand people trying to leave on the same day, it's uh it's probably not so bad. <laughs> yeah, true. So, uh thanks for joining me here. This is going to be my late September episode and uh and we're we're doing this in in August, so we're we're going to be like this is future traveling. We're going to be thinking about what it's like to have been, you know, 2-3 weeks into school and uh, have got all of our students in front of us and we've almost learned all their names. Um, <laughs> and we've, we've worked all that out. Uh, we've, we figured that, that out. Um, so let me uh, jump into the question. I like to ask everyone, um, you know, our careers have been similar in length. So uh, how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the classroom? Um, well, first of all, I, um, I, my degree, I was a pre-med major that uh, quickly decided my junior year that I did not want to do the uh, the MCAT and GRE and all that sort of stuff. Um, so uh, I was living in Portland, Oregon with my um, with my soon-to-be wife, uh, who I've dated since we were in ninth grade, and we decided to move from Portland to Miami, Florida. Um, was I was in Miami for a year and then uh, moved to Naples. Um, and then I started, um, actually, uh, I was coaching soccer. I played collegiate soccer, so I was coaching soccer. And then um, there was a uh, sub shortage, and I was like, oh, let's see how that was. And the first time in the classroom, it really, uh, it really uh, caught my attention. So I went through alternative certification in the, um, in the state of Florida. So my first year of teaching was my student teaching experience. <laughs> And um, I was just lucky to be um, uh, um, in the school I was at. Uh, right across the hall was a, a gentleman named Bard Keeler, who's one of the top AP world teachers, uh, consultant, um, uh, um, actually involved in AP Capstone in the development of that program. And um, I was just smart enough to listen to him uh, <laughs> when I messed up as a young student, uh, young teacher. So. Um, that's kind of how I got into the classroom, kind of different than most people, but 
um, kind of, <laughs> we all end up at the same place. So you were, were you already coaching at that school and then decided to start subbing in as well? Is that sort of the background? Yeah, I was at a different school and yeah, I was coaching and, um, I started subbing, um, just, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're 22 years old, looking, looking for life. Um, and then it kind of caught my bug. I, uh, realized that, um, I, I enjoyed young people more so than adults sometimes. <laughs> so, um, kind of moved that direction. I think those are my exact words when somebody said to me, you know, just the other day, they're like, oh, you're going to get be getting back into school. You know, are you dreading the end of summer? And I was like, you know, I, I'd rather spend my day around teenagers uh, than adults, generally speaking. So that's not so bad. Isn't that the truth? Right? Yeah, there uh, there's a lot of fun to be had in a, in a high school Um and so I'm, I'm, it's funny, we're getting to the end of the summer and I'm, I really am looking forward to it. When this episode comes out, I'll be exhausted because it'll be, <laughs> it'll be, a, it'll be a few weeks in and I'll, I'll remember, oh, that's right. I used to be able to sleep in and stuff. But, uh, in terms of the, the, the fun element and the, the working with the kids is great. So, um, I'm glad you brought up the soccer coaching cause I, I coached early on, um, in my career as well, um, and coached a variety of different teams. And I knew that was the case and you shifted gears really, I think pretty heavily, it looks like the last you know, decade or so you've gotten into this AP consulting um, gig. And I, I was kind of curious if you saw any parallels between soccer coaching and training teachers, particularly AP teachers. Well, I think each and every one of them are, um, are relevant um, uh, and are connected. So um, uh, in... <laughs> Anybody that's ever done profession, uh, professional development, especially with teachers, some sometimes teachers are um, uh, can be a handful in a week long workshop, and trying to capture the attention of um, you know twenty five different individuals with different needs is something that you do it um, you do come across when you're coaching, um, and all the different um, uh, needs and wants of students are not that much different than kids. So managing a group is um are very similar but it's not any different than being in the classroom you're just dealing with adults and um coaching you know in terms of um changing things up and um uh always being fresh is something that is uh that you do coaching and then as a consultant you do the same thing where you just can't come in and do the same song and dance that everybody has seen before you better bring some new ideas to the table um and it's the same thing with coaching yeah, I was when I was uh, looking that over. It was reminding me of how coaching made me so much better of a teacher, um, because yeah. like I think my coaching style, personally, my coaching style is I am I'm not a yeller. I'm a pretty quiet personality. I don't yeah. you know don't coach on the ball. Um, you know, practice time is really important. Super positive, mm -hmm. super encouraging. But I would say that my coaching persona and my early career teaching persona were not the same. Um, and, and my players liked me a heck of a lot more than my students. So, so, um, and not to say that my students disliked me, but I definitely, I think I showed a lot more of my humanity to my, to my players. Um, did it work similar for you or did you kind of go the other way? Did your players, did your players soften you or did your students soften you or, or how did that work in terms of your growing? So I think the journey is, um, uh, uh, an interesting journey, uh, journey, uh, when you're, speaking about coaching and you're speaking about um, the impact with student athletes. Um, I'm finding now, um, so I'm entering God my, what was it? 22nd year of coaching. Um, and uh, 20. So I've always coached and taught because I do see the value of getting out of your classroom and impacting kids and stuff like that. Um, 
And uh, the thing about that has kind of turned within the last three to four years. And I think anybody, even just regular teachers see it. Um, we deal with a lot more um, uh, counting like uh, stuff that you have. So it's not just your student group, but your um, coaching group. So I was coaching boys and girls. So I was coaching fall and spring mm -hmm. and it was just too much because I would have almost 200 athletes on top of my 200 students and the needs and wants of each group were getting um, a little too much to handle. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just down to one season now coaching. Um, but I do, I do think that um, as, as I've uh, grown as a, I think both of them parallel to each other. So as I've changed and grown in the classroom, I change and grow as a coach and kind of go um, back and forth. There's a, a fascinating documentary on Amazon Prime right now. There's a gentleman named uh, Pep Guardiola, mm -hmm. who is considered the top um, uh, soccer coach in the world. And they have a documentary of his season. And watching him man management um, is just fascinating because they kind of follow him on how he does things. And it's quite interesting because sometimes he'll talk to them like they're uh, <laughs> ninth graders, you know, and these are professional athletes. And at the same time, Put him, put his arm around them, and console him about different things. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, Jurgen Klopp is better, but that's oh, you're, here oh, you're a Liverpool guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you you're, you, uh, you you're you're playing uh, heavy metal football, aren't you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm enjoying. I, I I enjoyed our opener. I'm I'm looking forward to the year. I this has been, it's been a long time since I've been oh, I've been looking forward to a season. Well, you'll find the Pep Guardiola ones fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating uh, watching him manage people. It's it's in interesting and i think uh jurgen klopp i think is uh very similar to uh pep guardiola so i think you can take things from all leaders and all way of management and stuff like that and kind of make it yourself especially in the classroom i think um you can you got to remember we're all coaches mm -hmm. we're all coaches we're all salesmen we're all you know so i think they all play hand in hand with each other yeah it's uh, as i've shifted so i i'm not i've been coaching my own uh my own kids much more over the last few years and so coaching in town and coaching the travel yeah. and that sort of stuff <laughs> and it's it's really it, it's funny to me that i did take a little bit of break where i had been i'd been coaching school and club and then i i sort of mm -hmm. took a few years off where i mean you know, yeah, I was coaching, but I was coaching like, you know, <laughs> U8s or whatever. But as the they've gotten older and the level of the game has come up to where it's more in my wheelhouse, mm -hmm. where it's much more of a tactical game, you know, they talk about they talk about, you know, what not to do in what not to do when teaching or coaching rather, you know, how not to do it. And the coaching director will send out these plans. And it's like, yeah, it's just you just teach them. It's just good teaching um, yeah. that's being on the field. And uh, for me, the 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 coming back to it coming back to sort of coaching and looking at soccer coaching as learning um i've seen all these parallels that i've grown in my own teaching career over the last few years um you know what i how i approach different groups of students it's i i find it a fascinating back and forth so i now i know i mean you are a person who does like eight million jobs and, and so i was sort of build off of this you talked about all of these things because you also do the the consulting so how in the world do you have time to consult all over the world and coach and teach um i mean you are kind of hyper if anybody's been in a room with you uh you do kind of move frenetically you grade like what 900 ap tests in an hour what is it do you, like... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I cruise right along but um, how do you balance all these things um well i the the fascinating thing is is i've all i kind of tackled the whole um so it, for me, the coaching, um, as well as the consultant stuff, is the hobby. 
is, is the growth. Um, the fascinating thing about doing the consultant thing is uh, the people you meet and the colleagues, the, the, the small group of people who are truly into the art of teaching, which is sometimes hard to find in your own school, your school district, your area, and kind of growing your PLC mm-hmm. to include people from all over the country, you know, that think differently. Um, I don't sleep very much. Um, and I'm a grinder. So I'm always I'm always looking for the next thing to learn and grow from. And so um, I've never found it to be too much. My wife, like, uh, luckily, my, my wife is extremely supportive. I have a, a 14 year old daughter who's starting high school, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but um, she writes books on she's a teacher, too. But she writes, uh, she's just published her fifth book. So she does that stuff. So we have kind of a uh, balanced relationship with that. So if it wasn't for their support, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I am somebody who occasionally gets accused of doing too many things as well. Um, As I just finished, I think it was my fifth week of various professional things during the summer um, (laughs) the the last week. Uh, But yeah, the home support is super important. And um, yeah, my kids, I think it was harder when the, my, I have two boys and when they were younger, it was much harder to be away and and spend that time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that was funny when I, both of us sort of had the same view It's like, yep, we're done with the AP gig, get home. Like (laughs) second, next second, get home. So moving on in this, this, in your 8 million different jobs, initially you're working college board. Um, I know you work with Pasco. And in fact, I I was thinking back um, to the first person who told me you should be on my show was our our common friend, Ryan Reardon. Uh, Speaking of uh, crazy people in our PLCs from around the country, um, I believe it was something along the lines of, you got to get my man Kelsey on the podcast. Uh, I can't do the Southern accent, but um, so he was doing that. So what is what's going on with uh with pasco like how how did you get involved with them and then how does the how does the work with them i guess translate into you learning and, and taking that into your classroom as well well you'll you'll find this story funny um so i had uh, long story short i i had just moved back from uh naples into um into uh washington state here in vancouver where i teach and um the national conference was in uh seattle that year so i i go up and I'm sitting in a uh, veneer workshop mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just learning new things, you know, doing this thing. And um, I'm sitting next to this lady and I I, um, I had always used Pasco in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what our district had. So that's what I used. And I lean, I was like, oh, you know, um, this is good stuff. But, you know, I prefer Pasco. This is what I know. She looks at me and she goes, uh, let's talk after the, uh, uh, see me after the uh, workshop. And I was like, whoa. weird um so uh uh long story short the lady her name was nasim lewis who was the new pasco educational rep um (laughs) and she was a former ap biology teacher she actually works for microsoft in seattle now as a like um educational consultant but basically um she put me on the road to go into um summer um summer institutes to present um probes and stuff like that and through her is where I met Ryan, uh, who's my wingman. Ryan's my man. Because <laughs> we kind of look at things differently. He's he's in a totally different school than I am. Mm-hmm. I am at. And it's kind of, he teaches seniors where I teach freshmen and sophomores. Um, so we tend to – it's interesting that we come to the same conclusion from different points of view. And um, 
uh, we get uh, kind of irritated with educational jargon and all that sort of stuff. Just get to the point. Um, but um, yeah, with Pasco, I don't really do that much stuff with Pasco anymore because I'm so busy. Yeah. Um, but um, whenever they need something um, right now, the, the gentleman's name, Mike Blasberg. So um, whenever they need stuff, we'll um, jump at it. But yeah, long story short, you never know who you're sitting next to. And <laughs> she kind of opened the door to becoming a consultant because I got into the world. I met um, a, um, my other wingman's Mark Little out of Colorado. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I refer to him as the godfather. <laughs> and um, so, uh, yeah, small world. That's how I um, refer to it. Yeah, both uh, both former guests. Uh, <laughs> no, known both of them pretty well. Yeah. yeah, Mark comes up everywhere. Like everybody's like, oh, then I saw this guy, Mark Little. Do you know? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. he's he's everywhere so, too. Well, yeah, Mark and I presented at the annual conference for God. It must have been five or six years. We were doing Pasco stuff, just different ideas and stuff, and mm -hmm. um, we both became consultants on in the same week for the College Board. <laughs> and and one of the things they had they saw us one time at the annual conference, so. So when you so you use these probes, you said you've been using them for quite a long time, and I'm really interested in terms of. Um, so I'll, now you can help me out because I'm working on something right now. So we're gonna we're gonna talk through a little mm -hmm. uh, personal consulting. I tricked you in because you're gonna help me figure out this yeah. lab, and I'm gonna use Vernier because that's what I got in my building. Yeah. But um, you know, maybe we maybe we upgrade to Pasco as <laughs> well, <laughs> as we go. Just use whatever you got. That's what I tell people. It doesn't matter that the company. It's just you use them if you can. Yeah. So I, I've inherited a handful of uh, of the probes, and I'm using this probeware. And so I'm trying to think about in this mindset of AP. Um, but I want to do it with my honors kids, my younger kids, because I teach AP to juniors and seniors, um, mm -hmm. similar to Ryan. Um, but I'm gonna. I want to introduce this concept of sort of baseline and follow up and get them in those ideas. So what I've got is I've got a couple of jars. Got right now they're on my windowsill next to me. There's uh, some water plants. Um, you know I've got those and I've got some uh, some containers in there mm -hmm. and I've got some dissolved oxygen probes. And like so, how do you frame kids like collecting and investigating data so that they can use these probes to sort of track their own kind of questions? What what do you do with your own kids or how do you model it maybe when you talk to other teachers about those things? So for me, the, the, the power of the probes is you really have to, um, um, the, the probe is the uh, apparatus. It is the procedure. And um, students today do not have an issue with uh, restarting an experiment, you know, especially in the digital age. Um, and um, with the probes, they can collect data quickly. And if they do mess up, they could start. Um, in terms, what what I find with probes is, is uh, teachers tend to just be scared of the technology, which the kids are not. But what's <laughs> fascinating is, um, like, off of the um, summer institute uh, this year, um, the younger teachers who are coming into AP Biology they have no problem whatsoever with the probes. They jump right in. Where you know us us dinosaurs <laughs> tend to have an issue. But so if you think about it, for me, I'm, I'll just throw the probes at the students and go, okay, um, uh, you're, you, this probe collects dissolved oxygen. You know it's taking place in this jar. Um, how, how can you collect it? Why would you collect it? What would your variables be? And just let them go. Because once, you, once they know how to use the probe, now when you, go, you get them in AP, they know the procedure you can truly go to open inquiry because all the materials all that sort of stuff is all taken care of they know how to use the apparatus and they can just go versus not not wasting time but you know having to model a apparatus so. yeah 
you cut down on sort of that ramp up time, if you will, like the. Yes, yes, yeah. very much so. And um, they they come up with crazy things, you know, <laughs> but as long as they're not going to kill anything, we're OK. Yeah. So you burn down the skull. It sounds like to me. So I'm going to I'm now going to use our jargon. Um uh, the jargon, I'm going to use a word that before eight years ago, I don't think I've ever used in a classroom. Yeah. And I'm, you know, entering your <laughs> 20, uh, 23 this year. I, I said before eight years ago, I never used the word phenomena uh, ever before. <laughs> but I think that what you're describing is you're giving kids. So I, I have these jars. I've got these aquatic plants. I put them in water. I give them their dissolved oxygen probes. And I say, this is a dissolved oxygen probe. And this is a, this is a aquatic plant in some water. Um, what, what do you, what do you see? What do you collect? What, what, mm-hmm. what kind of data do you get? Here's another jar that's got no, uh, plant in it. Um, what do you, what do you notice about the difference between mm-hmm. them? All right. What, well, que- yeah. what questions do you have? You know? Well, and they can see real live data being collected. Yeah. You know, and so they, they see it occurring. Um, so yeah, like you said, it captures their attention. I, I do think like the one, the other side of the probes is the fact that they, you can bring in living organisms and you can keep them alive and still collect data, which I think as um, like even in AP, we um, we tend to forget that a lot, a lot of students are interested in life, not the molecular side of life. Yeah. You know, so for a lot of us, we, we get caught up into the genetics and we get caught up into the molecular and forget that for some students just, I mean, biology is the study of life and to see living organisms be able to collect data and try to capture their attention because not not every scientist is a molecular scientist there are botanists and there are zool i mean there's all sorts of things that a lot of students are interested in but we we quickly forget so i think probes allow that to happen and also you know my my uh, add kicks in and i can collect data fast <laughs> you know in short periods of time and um it I, and i do think the probes take away from um what you're doing in the lab to why you're doing in the lab. Uh, mm. you, you, you eliminate like, cause when I talk to my regular biology teachers, like even in my school, they're always concerned about the procedure, the procedure, the procedure. And you're like, well, what, what did you get out of it? Well, uh, we ran out of time. Well, that's the most important part is over here. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. And you know, you're, as you're talking, you were reminding me a little bit about sort of the, the, the legacy AP biology, where we would spend all this time like setting up this respirometer with the, and, you know, and, and burying it underneath the water and making sure the temperature was there or mixing the solution or grinding up these. Le- like we would literally spend like 40 minutes building some going through some protocol that was mm-hmm. so separating the life and the living process from the data collection. Yeah. In a in a system that no student would ever use, like no no lab was running those kind of apparatuses mm-hmm. to collect that kind of data. Um, and then when you bring it back to a year one biology with maybe students who will go on to AP or maybe not, the important thing is not the following a, a you know a recipe. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The, the important thing is the data collection and then connecting it to the science. Well, and and like um, uh, it being a tool instead of a lab mm-hmm. so using the probes as a tool like a thermometer you're, you're collecting data it is not a, the lab itself it's just a tool to uh connect um uh concepts and you know other things um in biology so um and uh i one of the reasons i went more and more to it is as i went from a block schedule in florida to a 50-minute period in um 
and here where I'm at now. So time's money. Got to <laughs> got to roll. Yeah. Yeah. And you do have a little bit more luxury in those longer periods. Um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you can do titration until you die. Yeah. Well, I get a I get a double lab once every six days in my current iteration. Although we are in the, on the on the verge of changing our schedule to something else, but we haven't decided what that's <laughs> going to be. Um, but in the current iteration and the one I've already taught, I get once every six days. I get a double lab, and then my kids actually have some freedom in the sense that because of our weird schedule, some kids have free periods. Mm-hmm. And common with me, my free periods in our AP room. So I will have kids who come in for an extra lab period now and again to, oh. to, to, to collect data. I get some good, I got good quality nerds. I get oh, good. Hey, well, <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't have any failing algebra like I do. No, no. I've got older, <laughs> I got older kids and they're, they're great. It, I'm just thinking that cause I, a few weeks ago I was writing my letters of recommendation for the summer mm-hmm. and you're like, you're writing it up and you're like, what do I think about that kid? And I think about the fact that this is a kid who would be in my room during a second period with nobody else there because they screwed up their data collection and they wanted to redo it or they wanted to get more data points or they wanted to get it. Um, you were mentioning the yeast sphere lab. Um, I had yeah. one group in particular who they were dropping their yeast spheres and I, it was like their second or third sphere, whatever, it just stuck on the bottom. And like yeah. it just, it rose and it took like <laughs> five times longer than yeah. the rest of them to come up. And they come up to me and they're like, can we throw this data point out? And I was like, yeah. you can't just throw data points out. They're like, we can't. And I like, I was like, do we, and there, so we went back and forth and I was like, all right, here's your statistical standard. If your data point is more than three standard deviations away from the mean, you can throw that data point out. So then they yeah. collected data for another 20. They collected another, tw- <laughs> they, they dropped another like 20 or 25 yeast spheres in to get it <laughs> so that their mean, that their stand, that their, that data point was more than three standard deviations from the mean. And I was like, yeah, you're showing me because they didn't collect enough data the first time around to justify that as an outlier. Yeah. But well, because they collected more, they were able to do that. It was kind of a. Oh. Well, um, talk, talking about that lab, um, I started playing around this summer. Um, the Northwest is a the brewing capital of the world. Um, so <laughs> in my APSIs, we, I started bringing different um, variations of yeast. Mm-hmm. And we would um, dye them in food coloring. And then they would have a, a yeast race up the graduated cylinder. It's pretty cool. Like the different colors, you could see them um, racing each other. So like the, uh, some of them, you know, um, the catalytic reaction occurred at a higher rate than um, the expensive yeast. Yeah, I'm wondering if you were to use, because if you were to use like just ale versus lager or even within ales, if you were to do something that was more flocculent, like a, mm-hmm. like an English versus, you know, uh you know, something that might have a, like a Belgian or something that's got yep. got a whole lot of other, you know, biochemical stuff going on, throwing a whole mm-hmm. lot more esters in their, in their profile. Um, well, yeah, the, the baker yeast were, they were the ones that, it was the one that was moving the fastest. I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was kind of, it was interesting. So I'm going to throw that bad boy into, uh, in, in, as a, uh, inquiry part of the lab come, um, come the fall. Yeah. I've, I've thought about bringing in the lager yeast as an option. Um, lager yeast and then like an English ale, um, yeah. Because those are they got they got some nice nice combinations. But um, yeah, I love I love that lab for so many reasons. It's a great way of collecting data. Sort of, I think that would meet your ADD standard of you can collect a crap load of data in a really short period of time. Well, well, the other side of that lab is that um, how much you cut the hydrogen peroxide, yeah. it cuts the cost of that lab down. I mean, astronomically, yeah. you know. Um, like I, I, I've always done probes with 
um, with the yeast, you, you can use gas pressure probes, you can use, you know, um, O2 probes, but uh, I, I, it just cuts the cost. And I'm always trying to cut costs. So yeah, um, and the kids actually thought it was cool. The, the, the teachers this summer thought it was off the charts. They had never seen anything like it. Um, one one change I'm going to make is I'm actually going to have the, my students make them before. Because oh. I do think it's kind of cool how they're made, you know, taking the syringes and just dropping them in there yeah. and have them make it and then run the lab. Yeah, I've always I've always had my kids make them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have always make them the spheres and, but again, that's, that is the luxury of the double lab. Like, I don't know oh, yeah. <laughs> if they didn't have the double lab, but yeah, I'll start up a, I'll, I, I basically do like a 10% yeast solution, um, mm-hmm. that I'll start up first thing in the morning, you know, and I'll make up like 200 mils of, of yeast. And then I think I make the alginate up the day before, because it takes forever to go into solution, yes. uh, on a stir plate. And then, um, yeah, I have the kids come in and get a couple small beakers and drop it all. Boop, into, boop, boop, boop. Yep. And you can make, I think it's doable to do in a single period. If you've got it all laid out and you describe it, mm-hmm. the kids know it, maybe you model the procedure the day in advance. Um, yeah. I think it's doable, but yeah, you can easily collect 25 data points. And so if you ever want to teach standard deviation, standard error, um, on there, and you also get an interesting trend that generally speaking, the yeast spheres start to rise a little bit faster over time and i've had kids take that and they've actually used that as their follow-up experiment oh nice, they, nice. they've used that so they t- great questions come out of it the kids see a lot of phenomena out of there yeah and well and it's just a simple simple lab so like when um you know we're training teachers it's like i try to tell them it's like it's not what you do it's uh, it's why you're doing it you can do the simplest lab and something like that you know, most people think, oh, you would have to have, you know, some high power equipment, whatever. No, that right there um, can suffice and um, actually capture attention. But then at the same time, you should be able to use that with your regular biology student or your at risk group that you work with, you know, what I mean, yeah. like trying to tell people, because if they're experienced, if they see that and go, oh, that's what you do in AP, then then it's like a marketing tool, yeah. you know, you know. So. Yeah, I think probably my two simplest labs I do all year are the yeast labs. I do that one. And the other one I do is I use 15 mil Falcon tubes and I do um, two mils of 10% yeast and four mils of sucrose. And I have them set up like a rack of them. And then I have Uh them do replace the yeast with just a water with water. Mm -hmm. And then I have them uh, set that up one day at the end of class. It takes like 10 minutes to set up maybe 15 minutes. And the next day I have them come in and they measure the foam stand and oh. I was, and and that's all it is. You get a foam stand the next day, and you know it. You it takes probably about three hours for the foam to sort of peak out, but they can always see where the foam stand is. And you have this. You can measure it, and Falcon tubes have a uh, graduations on them, so you can have a. Well, you knew you measured it up to six mil. How high did it go? The foam went up to this height. Subtract six mils. That's the that's I'm, the that's the height of your foam stand. I'm I'm drawing up your lab right now. So <laughs> wait, you, and, um, you put four mil of yeast in each one? Uh, two mils of uh, I'll have to double check it, but it's I'm pretty sure it's two mils of ten percent yeast and four mils of of ten percent sucrose. Oh, and then one of them just has water instead of water sucrose. instead. Of, yeah, water instead of. I think I've done it both ways. I think I've done water instead of sucrose. I think water instead of the yeast works better because um, there will be some stored. Um, there is some stored uh, like uh, triolose mostly in dried yeast. Um, mm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think molecularly. Um, <laughs> so then they will they they when they come out of there they will they will produce a little foam stand. So it depends on what you want to show them. I mean that's that's a phenomenon in and of itself that there is a little bit of stored in there. Uh, but I think I've replaced the yeast with water just to show that the you know you need the yeast there to get that that rate. That oh, rate. so you use water instead of yeast, not sucrose. Yeah. So it's so um. Uh, and you, you, when are you doing this in your, your uh, curriculum? So I do this as my, we do, when I do the floating disc lab for photosynthesis, Yeah. I do this, I do that at the same time. And then I let groups pick which they want to do as their follow-up investigation. So we do baseline labs for the floating disc for photosynthesis. And then we do mm-hmm. the baseline lab for this as a respiration. And then I ask them a lot of questions about, well, is this, aerobic respiration or anaerobic respiration and the answer is it's both it's predominant we i think it's predominantly anaerobic respiration um uh but we talk about it so it raises a lot of interesting questions and then what kids will do is now that they have a host of other things to do so at this point we've already gone over molecular you know some basic molecular so they'll think about maybe different types of sugars to yeah. produce that, they'll do they'll do concentrations. They'll do volume differences. Does it matter how much? Like we did ten percent sucrose. If you do, uh, you know, half as much, quarter as much, do you get half? Do you get a linear relationship in the foam stand? Like, like there's it's mm. a super super simple lab. But I've had kids, you know, especially in AP, because I just really at this point, this is pretty early in the year. They're still wrapping their heads around the idea of a baseline lab that generates a bunch of achievable questions, then picking one of those questions and then collecting enough data to see if you can tie it to a, an underlying scientific concept. Um, and I don't want it to be something that is super, super, I mean, it gets really complicated really fast. As soon as you ask that, is it aerobic or anaerobic? Like tracking yep. that down becomes a huge, like, how do you know that? Like, how do you know if it's aerobic versus anaerobic? You know, and um, so there's a lot of cool little phenomena. That's one of those little labs. I played around with that in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> for, well, well that, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, could it be a shoebox lab yeah. that I do? Yeah, that's it. Absolutely, could fit into your shoebox. But we're gonna put a pin in that because oh, we'll yep. come back to that on your picks. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think we've got a nice little baseline of sort of you know where you are professionally. But now we're looking forward. You are not as as much as you've sort of moaned and groaned about your your age um, and being a dinosaur. Uh, you are not done. You have many years to come. So what are yeah. what are you looking forward to in your classroom in the in the years to come? Um. What what I'm fascinating with is actually over the last few years is the idea of um, as I see as I see my daughter go through middle school is the idea of uh, have we lost the idea of academic preparedness? Have we lost the idea of like the simple skills that students need to survive Um, teaching the freshmen, sophomores that I do? um, I'm seeing more and more the. like everybody assumes everybody else is doing it. <laughs> just the simplest of just how to be a student. Um, so I'm kind of fascinated with that right now um, uh, in my classroom. And also like, uh, how how do I maximize the time in my classroom while um, recognizing that um, students outside the classroom's lives are so scheduled now and busy is can I maintain um, a, uh, AP program that allows students to enter it with, without any prerequisites or anything like that and still be successful, you know? So I'm constantly buying like, uh, Lee Ferguson, which mm. you, you, you know, you yeah. probably had her on. Yeah. Um, it took her, 
um, uh, she had tried to convince me on her notebooks forever, forever, forever. And then one, I, it was um, a year and a half ago in January, I called her, I go, okay, you got 10 minutes, you can convince me. And if it's left brain, right brain, I'm out. And um, what's funny is, is that simple uh, learning log that she does, um, that I do now, um, has really transformed a lot of my students because I just assumed, you know, you probably remember when we first started teaching AP, ah, hey, uh, read these chapters. We have a quiz on Friday and they all read it, yeah. you know, and they, they all did it. And, and those, those times are not so apparent now. Um, so uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's kind of, and then the idea of like taking simplicity, like these, this, your foam stand here, yeah. as you call it. <laughs> and yeah and like i've seen it it's like a i've seen this before as like a um second grade stem lab yep. and taking these ideas and putting them into an ap class that is 45 minutes long because this is not does not take very long and then being able to run it over and over again and make connections to our students so you can tell i'm all over the place trying to grow <laughs> as a as a teacher um, and grow the experience for my students. So yeah, I to me, I've I've come to this dichotomy. Was sort of as you're talking, um, I think that what we did is we came up in such a tracked system that basically the the students who weren't in the, by the time they got to high school and they got to us, if they weren't in the track that set them on the path mm -hmm. to honors and AP, like we didn't have to deal with that. Like that was done. Mm -hmm. um, and now what we're coming to realize is. We we need citizens <laughs> who understand what's going on, and the idea of tracking, we we've grown in our discomfort with the concept um, of this idea of kids like the idea of like a ten year old or an eleven year old was put into this track and that's sort of part of who they are. And as that has happened, as we've gone away from that, now we're getting kids who've taken many different paths who are now act trying to access AP. And just like you said, we don't know if the kids in front of us ever learned how to, you know, read a textbook or, you know, do this. So what happened is we we had this luxury. And I used to think about this when I think about what I did when I first taught honors. I didn't have any learning objectives. I didn't tell the kids. I just signed homework. We did stuff in class. We gave them a test. It was a black box. There were mean trick questions that they had to read in a particular way. And that was considered okay, totally OK. Like that was what mm -hmm. honors was. Now, if I gave them the same test, it'd be like, man, I'm a jerk. Like, that's not clear. I didn't make my objectives clear. I didn't do that. You know, and again, this is having grown over 20, you know, 20 years. Well, and, and the other side of it is by the time your papers got to the back corner, um, they would have already had the answers. Uh, <laughs> you know, someone had electronically, they, they have the answers. Well, they, they very easily could now. Yeah. yeah. But even that, yeah, like, and, and I think that was sort of a, there was a complicit degree of like cheating that happened mm -hmm. in those. And we kind of knew it and we kind of threw our hands up and we're like, ah, oh. but that was because we were asking them to like answer generate rather than mm -hmm. like sense generate. Yeah. And now yeah. it's like, now we're asking these kids, and frankly, it's a harder class for everybody. Like it's a harder class for us because we're differentiating and doing all these different things, but it's also mm -hmm. a harder class for them because I, I thought about, I think about the year when they made the revision, my scores plummeted and they didn't like plummet, plummet, but they dropped down pretty dramatically because my kids in my school, they can memorize Campbell like nobody's business. Like they can do that professionally. Mm -hmm. And the next year, they were asked to make a lot more sense out of the stuff and apply. And my fives came way down. 
and my fours went down and my threes went up and like it, you could see those numbers like shift in a, in a high powered school and the kids, their perception was AP got way harder. And my perception was AP got way different. <laughs> and yeah, yeah very, very true. And, uh, and I had to make some adjustments. So, well, um, what's interesting is, is, uh, now that, um, the students have to be able to, uh, to learn. Yeah. You know, that's the difference versus just kind of, you know, like he just fed them like a machine gun. <laughs> and then now they have to be able to process information. So the people that memorized back in the day, you remember, they just had to get a review book two weeks before, read that thing three times, you got a five. And yeah. that's not so much the case anymore. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think my state exam, I've been talking about this, our state exam as we move to an NGSS model is actually doing the same thing as what we did in AP. Now that there's the science <laughs> practices, the content has come down. Like you look at the new standards and you read through the content. Mm -hmm. And I was actually having a, um, I don't want to say an argument. It was like a passionate discussion um, <laughs> where they were saying they don't need to know this and they don't need to know that anymore. Um, and they, they've, they've devalued this content. And I was like, you can still teach that content. You just have to wrap it in the skills. Well, like, well yeah, well, exactly. Um, yeah, I got into a argument with our uh, science coordinator who, uh, is a elementary teacher. And, um, like I tried to warn her, I was like, you, you guys, you better be prepared because we, we have a state test come too. And I'm like, it is unlike anything you've ever seen. And you, you guys, you can, you know, people have different viewpoints of AP, whatever it is, but I do believe that AP biology, um, watching AP physics go through it now, which kind of <laughs> makes me laugh and AP chemistry and all that, the idea of like, you can just stuff by doing. And you, you better, you know, you better have a purpose to what you're doing every day, which is your science practices. So it's kind of fascinating that you're having that same uh, viewpoint that I have. Yeah. You know, um, because those state tests will rock people's worlds. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also a little like I'm I, I am definitely in a place where I'm getting frustrated with the state and how they're communicating about it, because I kind of feel like. We're not doing this alone. All the states are doing this. Why does it feel like you guys are trying to do your own thing? And Massachusetts sort of historically has always done that. Like, And they do a nice job. But it definitely feels like Massachusetts is trying to do their own thing on this. And it feels like we could be we could provide a much better experience for everybody if we were a little bit more aligned with what other people are trying to do mm -hmm. as well. So Yeah. But I also think everybody's trying to figure it out, too. Yeah. And um, uh, But they always kind of paint ap into like this box you know like this oh you, well you do that because of ap and you don't realize like i mean god i mean look at the lab we were just talking about <laughs> a freaking three test tubes and 10 percent yeast and we're talking about how we can do this in ap and then but then they wouldn't do that and you're like well do you realize this is what we're doing in ap yeah, so super simple exactly um um keep it simple, stupid kind of mentality. <laughs> so it's interesting that um, I, I bet you they come back around to like, oh, they got it figured out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, and I also, you know, and I, this is sort of the, when you work with adults um, and I'm learning this myself as I've been starting to do workshops, um, adults have different levels of comfort that they're, you know, and discomfort that they can work through. And when you make an adult uncomfortable, some of them are like, awesome. I love this. I love being uncomfortable, but that's like the one or two. That's like, that's Ryan. <laughs> that's Lee. <laughs> that's you. Like not every adult wants to get uncomfortable and feel realizes, Oh, when I'm a little uncomfortable here, I'm going to learn. 
most. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's challenge. Let's challenge what you're thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should hear the conversations between Ryan and I. Yeah. You would laugh like you have never laughed before. Yeah. Because I mean, we're all over the place, but we're like challenging our thought process. We're challenging everything. But you're you're so true. You're so right in the idea of like because it's a different. I mean, think about when we moved to this new AP doing summer institutes. It was like a war zone. <laughs> You know, because it was just, I mean, it's so different, you know, but I mean, it's actually challenging, you know, before, like I tell the people in the summer, the curriculum was one page long. Remember 25% (laughs) human anatomy. What does that mean? You do everything in the book. Um, So it's, it's a challenge now. It's a teaching challenge. It's a um, pedagogy challenge of like, how do you do this on a regular basis? And I still don't think we have it figured out. No. I still think we're growing. I mean, like I'm writing, like I said, like <laughs> I'm on the back of one of my wife's little forms here. Yeah. I'm writing up a lab that I'm like, Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> you know? Um, so, but that, I mean, that's the one nice thing about like what you're doing and also kind of like what the internet has brought about is the idea that you can have collaboration with people all the way across the country and because otherwise you were just stuck in your own room yeah. and you're trying to figure this crap out. And, and usually we're not that good. Yeah. You know, we usually takes like five of us to figure something out and go, Oh, we got to figure it out now. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you so. need to be in a room with people who are uh, hopefully smarter than me. Is that, that's what, that's what <laughs> oh, I, oh, I always yeah, usually absolutely. say. All right. So uh, I, my next, I'm almost worried about my next question because before we get to the questions for me or, or, or picks the episode, I always ask people, what do they do when they're not in the classroom? But you sort of alluded to your hobbies <laughs> earlier, yeah, yeah. but do you have any like uh, non teaching hobbies? Do you ever, do you ever uh, relax? I guess maybe the question. Yeah, I relax. And so um, <laughs> what's funny is, is um, uh, I consider myself and I'm, I'm very much an introvert. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, teachers, like if you look at teachers who are, um, I don't know about you, but like um, we're extroverts in the classroom with kids, but I'm very much an introvert when it comes time to um, time to uh, be on my own. And I just hang out with my family. Um, we have uh, season tickets to the Portland Timbers. Mm-hmm. So my daughter and I, I like, I, is it this week or next week? The Sounders come in. Oh, that'd be which, a big one. Oh yeah, if you yeah, you've never seen this one, um, but like just just hang out and relax. But I I find stuff fascinating to learn as a, as a teacher, and I think it really comes down to, like I was saying, where where I started teaching was unique. Um, the people across the hall, Bard across the hall. I mean, he would challenge, he would look at me, and go, "Why are you doing that?" <laughs> and he he was fascinating because he goes, "I only give homework when I really want them to do it." Yeah. And I keep coming back to that and I, I still assign too much. I, I'm like, why do you have someone do homework and stuff? So, um, no, my free time, like, uh, just hanging out with my wife, my wife's an introvert for the most part. Mm-hmm. So we just hang out. I, I've been, my wife and I have dated since we were uh, 15 years old. So, <laughs> I mean, it's been a long, long time. So, uh, we just kind of hang out with my daughter's kind of an introvert too. So it kind of <laughs> all works out. Yeah, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. We I don't use the word introvert. I feel like it's got baggage. We we refer to um, sort of homebodies. Um. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, well, and and what's fascinating is is the uh, have you kind of read the whole new movement? There's a whole new uh, uh, movement on um, flexible learning spaces. Oh yeah, I've been reading a lot about that. Yeah. I, okay. So um, long story my, short, makes my, my classes. <laughs> 
combined career and technical ed okay. for AP biology. I think I'm the only one in the country. So that's another topic we could talk about one time. <laughs> um, but I got new furniture. And one of the things I did is I got furniture that are also individual desks that combine to make a table. Because sometimes students don't want to work together. Oh, yeah. Sometimes students are, they want to be, they, they realize they want to work by themselves. So this idea of forcing students into uh, tables is uh, fascinating. But um, no, I just kind of read up on stuff, um, just chill out, uh, relax, and then get jacked up and go tomorrow. You know? <laughs> All right. All right. So before we get to picks the episode, do you have any questions for me? No, not much. You know, I mean, I, fi- I find it fascinating what you're um, what you're doing with this. W- what direction do you see your um, you see the podcast going? Gosh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I keep getting to these like sort of crossroads where I'm like, I'm not sure what what the next entails. I, I find that like every time I get to a point where I'm like, oh, I'm worried. Am I going to get guests? Next thing I know, like I have four months done. Like like I kind of got to that at the beginning of the summer and I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Who am I going to interview? Like, and I'm already, you know, we're through September here and I'm already mm-hmm. thinking about, and I just did more professional development this summer. And I was in, you know, I was in a room yesterday where a couple of people had been on the show, but like, it was just a, it was a room of 13 teachers and man, they were like, those other 12 teachers were amazing. Like I could, I literally could spend like half a year just going through the rest of that room. Um, cause they were, they were just so good. And so I don't know, as I keep doing this journey, it's all about learning. And as you learn, you generate more questions and you want to learn more. And I think that's sort of where I'm going. I could see that at some point I could see a format shift. Um, but I don't know that I want to lose this keep keeping to checking in with other teachers. Cause I feel like it's, it's propelled my professional learning in a way that I could have never anticipated. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And that's, you know, the power of everything we do is just yeah. like, are you growing as a person, as a teacher and stuff like that? Yeah. All right. So we have uh, made it two picks of the episode and Kelsey, you are a two pick person. So uh, your, what is your first pick? I think we've got. Um, so the first pick I have is the, um, uh, let's see. Let me, um, oh, here, uh, six degrees of learning. Okay. Is that, is that what I have it called? I think you called it six strategies for learning. Oh, six strategies for learning. Yes. Um, and with the six strategies of learning, um, I actually have uh, in the state of Washington, Washington State University just started their medical school program. And one of my first students is in the inaugural class. And she was a student that was, um, uh, and she's the first to admit it, um, was not the most intelligent student. She refers to herself as like a grinder. And um, so she came in and um, she wanted to speak to my students to kind of give back and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, great. You know, here's time. So uh, we opened up a room. She came in and and she goes, what do you want to speak about? I go, well, go ahead and speak about whatever you feel is important for them to know now. If you could have known that back in the day. And she came in and talked about those six degrees of, um, of learning and the idea of like, how to study, like how to manage your workload, no matter what it is. And she spoke about, you know, like the idea of like um, spacing out your work, learning how to space, you know, stuff that we take for granted and stuff like when I was talking about the idea of academic preparedness that our students need, we still need to focus on. Um, so um, I shared that with you and there's, it's a website and um, there's some posters you can pull off and there's like actually um, they produce some uh, book uh, uh, bookmarks that I use for my uh, bill notebooks that uh, I got from Lee nice. and the students put them in there and 
because they don't know how to study and you get students that don't know. Yeah. And if they're not learning it at the preparatory levels, then, then it's on me. Um, so I found, um, I found that website to be kind of fascinating when she spoke about the kids were of course eating it up, even though we say it all the time, she was talking about, you know, uh, making connections to real life. Um, when you're studying, um, leaving space for personal time, timing out, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's uh, fascinating when you talk about the six strategies of learning that it was former students who come back. And it's similar to when I have my kids go out and do like job shadows or mm-hmm. go out into the field or whatever. And when they do, like a lot of times it's the the graduate student, it's the 22 year old, the 23 year old, the 20, those are the ones, not the, the adult who runs the lab or the mm-hmm. professor that it's the 22, 23 year old, you know, the, so that person who the kid can sort of project themselves out just a little bit and learning that and then the other thing is that this is if you want to read this in book form it's that make it stick it's all of those things but i you're you make me wonder if i should get like one of my former students to come back and just like go over it like here's the book make it stick now come back and talk to the kids and tell them to do this (laughs) you know yeah like well like how did they do it especially if they're in the middle of something um because some of the students like where i'm at like um uh, we're outside Portland. Um, we do have some affluent kids, but we have a lot of students that um, they're the first generation uh, yeah. college and they just don't, they just don't know. Yeah. Their parents don't know, you know, they don't go on college recruiting trips and you know, those sort of things. So um, anything like that helps them quite a bit. Yeah. And then your second uh, pick is actually, we alluded to it a little bit, something you call a shoebox investigation. Yeah. And um, so where the shoebox comes from um there's there's the there's an ap chemistry consultant named marianne duane and um i i got selected to go to guam a couple years ago and <laughs> to do a apsi for the college board well the thing about guam is you roll into guam you can't bring anything they compensated everything at the airport so you basically <laughs> have to um you have to uh teach from kmart <laughs> this idea of like how do you teach kmart but the same thing is you have these teachers on this island that can't get anything themselves um, due to either them not being able to ship or they just don't have the funds whatsoever. And when I was speaking to uh, Marianne, she, she, her entire chemistry curriculum, her labs are done at home. She does um, take home labs. So it kind of, kind of rattled my cage. And so I started thinking about this idea of shoebox labs a couple of years ago. Of course, probably like you, I get an idea, I write it down, and <laughs> life takes you. And the reason I came up with shoebox labs is because I originally was going to use probes. You know, like a kid could check out a probe. You know, they would go do it and stuff. And well, I have I have over 150 students, so that's not going to roll. Yeah. So um, I ran. I've always done a take home lab with animal behavior, mm-hmm. um, and I've done that for the last couple years. Um, but the one that really kind of put me over the edge to now where I'm doing them once a month, um, was the floating disc lab. Mm-hmm. So I did, um, and I shared that with you, which the write-up and everything, um, I, I think the write-up I have is from Lee, uh, <laughs> part of it's from Lee. Some of it's from, uh, Brad Williamson. Yep, that's who and I mean. <laughs> he, he had, he had posted something on, um, how was it the discussion board? I think it was the discussion board. And at the very, very end, he goes, Oh, you could easily do this at home too. And I started thinking, I was like, whoa, 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 that's actually right. Um, because all it takes is syringes. Yeah. So because, you know, when you go to do, so this idea of shoe, let me go back to like, so with the shoebox investigation, 
the students get two weeks to do it. So you give it to them, you know, you got to make sure safety's issue, you know, that materials, it's not going to cost them a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and one of the things I do is they can do it by themselves or with a partner and it could be from any period whatsoever. Yeah. So they can do it with a friend from third period. If they're in first period, I don't really care. Um, but the, the catch is I have to have a picture of them in doing the lab. I got to see evidence because otherwise they just share their information. So, um, I, I did the floating disc lab and all I gave them was a, um, uh, was a syringe. That's it. Just the syringe. I got, I bought a big bag from Amazon and they all came up. And what's fascinating is I sent home about 200 syringes. I only did not get back two, and the two that, um, did not get back were in a kid's backpack that uh, got stolen out of his car. <laughs> the rest of them came back. They just all came back. And, um, and I gave them the lab. And you know how we do it. You know, we usually use spinach, you know, and it's just, it's a simple lab, baking, uh, um, baking soda, yep. dish soap. I mean, it's a kitchen lab, right? Um, and my students, <laughs> the fascinating thing, I had students doing uh, lettuce versus um, spinach, ba uh, baby spinach versus full spinach. I had one student do Brussels sprouts, which actually got better results than uh, any other. The leaves on the Brussels sprouts? On the Brussels, because she goes, oh, that's all I had. And then the fast, the other side of it is this, I had parents involved in the lab <laughs> with it. Because if you think about a parent, all they ever see their kid doing is paperwork. And um, I got a couple emails from parents that they actually enjoyed the process because like one of them said, it was kind of funny. Um, I did not give a crap about high school. And then now I care. And they were actually in of what's going on. But I had students like, if you think about it, um, the cups they put them in, right? Well, some of them used glass cups, but they weren't translucent. What, it, a light couldn't get to it, and they it didn't work. And they figured <laughs> it all out by themselves. And the great thing is, is well, what happens if the lab doesn't work? They could do it again because they have two weeks to do it, and then they produce a deliverable. And then some of them. Um, they are uh, they're going to bring the results back in the class and then we'll analyze the results instead of them doing this homework. Like, you know, normally we do a lab and then they do all the analysis at home. Yeah. The idea, well, I'm trying to get to this. They would collect this data and then they bring it in the class and then we work on it in class. Yeah. Um, and um, I found, <laughs> I don't know about you. I have kids, you know, they'll sit in a lab, they'll do it with their partner, but then they don't turn in the write-up. Do you have students like I, 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 I do. Yeah. <laughs> and it, those students actually did the lab. Yeah. They actually did the write-up when they did it as like a two-week homework thing. So um, that's kind of where the shoebox, and I was just fascinating because I had more students participating. I had them kind of coming up with their own um, um, scenarios, the variables, all that sort of stuff. So I've gotten up to the point now where I'm up to about eight Wow. Um, my, my goal is like, just like anything, you can't do too many of them, Yeah, you know? So for osmosis, uh, diffusion, osmosis, whatever, just a simple egg lab, you know, and, and water, well, you can do that at home, get it right from the, from the refrigerator. So the goal is it has to be in the kitchen mm -hmm. or I supply the, um, the equipment. So neat. That's a, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking about like what you did is you, you did a, a very different flip. Like everyone talks yes. about the flip and the flip is lectures at home analysis mm -hmm. in the class or the, the, the writing yeah. in the class and the discussion in the class. And you did the, 
the wet work <laughs> at home, yeah. the analysis, uh, the analysis in class. So, yeah. And what's fascinating is like when I'm talking to teachers um, at summer institutes and I tell them, I was like, okay, so you're in a class and we're always stuck and you start a week after I do. Yeah. I mean, like, and then we have snow, both of us. I mean, like, you know, there's teachers that started last week and I'm like, dude, you, you have three weeks on us and you don't have snow. Anyways, um, but if we go to shave time, so if you have a lab and we go to shave time, we don't shave the lab. We shave the analysis of the data. This is what Ryan and I always talk about. Well, the most important skill a student can have is not running the lab. It's analyzing the data. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of what we're after. And it just kind of changes things up, just something different for the students to do versus like we were talking about the questions we used to give kids, you know, <laughs> like the guided questions or whatever they do. So, yeah. And also you, you're, you're bringing up the idea of what gets cut on the snow day, what gets cut when time is. Mm -hmm. I've always used that. That's sort of my lens of am I doing the right thing? And a few years ago, I remember having a discussion with my colleagues and they were like, that, you know, we had some snow days, we had to cut some stuff. And I was like, I'm not cutting the lab. And I was like, yes. okay, I've arrived. I've got to my curriculum to where I am, that the lab is now important enough in what we're doing that I'm not cutting the lab and just lecturing the content. I view the lab now as so important to the content, you know, to what we're doing that well, it's got to that point. Well, and the skill is, is can you teach content through activities? Yeah. That's really that. I mean, like I go through and like I, I, I'm like planned out through Christmas and I'm sitting there going, well, why am I lecturing on that? Even though it's five minutes, why am I doing that? Because really they need to be able to apply that content in, in that whatever scenario yeah. you're doing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, and I've, I've also done a lot of, do you do activities that are just confirmation? Um, you know, like how getting rid of like cutting all of that stuff, like just mm -hmm. the, just the confirmation, the repeat of what's been said, like I have no yeah. place. I have no place for that <laughs> anymore. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. And just kind of balancing, but just getting students moving and doing science. Otherwise, yeah. it becomes history class. Yeah, history of science. You know, you know, I mean, well, not the bag on history, but yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's you know, they, they tend to lecture and do maps and yeah. stuff like that. And we're supposed to have them uh, experiencing life. You yeah. know, so. I would say that if you want to be kind, you'd say, um, we are teaching history like it was taught to us and give credit to our, our yes. history colleagues who are, are going through a very similar phenomenon. Uh, they're going oh, through, oh, yeah. they're yes. going through they're, they've gone from a descriptive subject to an analysis based subject. Mm -hmm. And that's, they're going through an equal struggle as to what we're going through. Uh, of uh, course. If you want to yeah, give some credit to those guys. <laughs> well, I could probably even refer to my old biology class where the teacher had a newspaper, put it down <laughs> and rolled the uh, overhead. Yeah. And uh, put the newspaper back up. But see, you can really tell your age is if you actually taught on an overhead. <laughs> I, that's uh, the funny part. Like if we know yeah. what an overhead is. Yeah. 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 That's that's when you know you're the creepy middle age teacher now. <laughs> do you have any do you have any binders that still have any like uh, like printed out things that went oh, on? The God, overhead? Yeah. And I look at that like the other day there was one. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Out it goes. <laughs> yeah. Now the problem is I have too many electronic uh, files. <laughs> yeah. I have folders all over the place. Oh, I'm gonna do a new folder this year. Yeah. Oh, that's a nightmare. Yeah, I got I got some old folders that I I, I know it's like why do I even have this? Why don't I throw it out? All right. Yeah. Well, my pick of the episode um, is this summer um, was the first gene slicing drug was approved uh, by the FDA. 
um, which to me was like this. There's a lot of things about this. And I think I'm going to use this with my AP kids when I get to some of the gene regulation. I don't know about your kids, but um, my kids in particular, and I have older kids, so they, they, they tie into some new stuff. But when we talk about gene regulation, I've been talking about RNAi for a few years. And then a few years ago, they started coming back from labs and they were like, what's CRISPR? Or they keep hearing about CRISPR in the news and, and they hear about gene editing and they hear about this new gene editing thing. And I'm like, well, usually when they bring it up, it's not when we're talking about it. <laughs> so I, I would say, yeah, there's yeah. gene editing and there's some older school gene editing and new gene editing. But this is actually where they're using liver cells. They're targeting liver cells. And they're looking to silence um, gene expression in liver cells. And there's something special about the fact that um, that the liver cells, it works better in liver tissue than it does in other tissues of the body, this RNAi targeting. And it has to do a little bit with the sort of the mix of what you get inside of a liver cell and how most of your cells have um, nucleases that target RNA. Um, and so you can't use RNA as a treatment, but liver cells are special um, in their ability to use RNA interference to sort of tamp down some diseases. So are those fascinating with all of the talk about CRISPR and gene editing and gene technology? You know, this was 20 years in the making. Mm -hmm. RNAi came, was, you know, late 90s. Uh, people who made those <laughs> discoveries, you know, I think it was uh, early 2000s was when the Nobel Prize, uh, you know, when when mm -hmm. Mello and and uh, and Horowitz and, and that other group, they, they did the RNAi uh, with C. elegans. So it and that was, you know, almost 15 years ago. And mm -hmm. now they're getting this gene editing technology to to market. So when we hear about CRISPR and CRISPR genes and CRISPR um, mm -hmm. in treatment, maybe the expectation that's going to be something that we're going to be using, you know, next year or the year after, it does take a ramp up time to, to get to that point. But um, I think it's an interesting story to bring it up. And it's also, a, I think, a fascinating, you know, I always think about drugs and drug and drug development. And <laughs> and when I talk to my kids, like, would you sign up for this? Would you sign up for to be the first in line to do this treatment? And how do you how do people weigh that out in their ethical, you know, in their ethics and that sort of thing? So. Well, you can always find, um, uh, I always talk, talk about with the drug companies, follow the money because whatever <laughs> they're, they're, they're going after is something that's going to make huge, huge changes. And if they get to FDA level, that means it's, it's usually really good. Yeah. You know, not the experimental, like, let's see if it works or not, you know, so that, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah. It's incorporating with your students. Yeah. So I, I don't know how this is going to come in, but I definitely know it's a, it's a question that comes up. So I wanted to sort of mark it in my notes here that it's something to, to bring up with them. Yeah. All right. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for the conversation. This has Absolutely. been awesome. I, I learned a lot. It got me thinking about, um, you know, sort of my analysis flip. I think that's probably the biggest thing I'm going to take away is uh, like how, how much am I asking my kids to analyze outside versus analyzing class and, and, and do that, that right stuff. And, um, well, if you if you go to do something cool, you got to share it with me so I can uh, <laughs> I can use it too. Yeah. You know, you go to uh, go to do something that um, um, challenges you know um, traditional thinking of what we do with our students. Yeah. You no. Know, so. All right. Well, let me give credits for the episode. Um, uh, supporters of this episode support me through Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash lots. Um, and Patreons are invited into a Slack community. Uh, I do post show notes up there. I also been getting my audio out early to those guys. So that's my, that's my real perk is my Patreons get early release if they go to our Slack community. Uh, music on this episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. 
You can get show notes in addition on my Patreon page at lifeoftheschool.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. Kelsey seems entirely too busy to tweet anything. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> he, yeah, uh, he, he doesn't do that. He's a he's he's got he doesn't have the. It, when the it says, I was gonna say. Well, I was actually gonna say I don't think you have the attention span to tweet, and I think that I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> no, no, go hundred miles per hour. Yeah, for sure. But uh, it's been a real pleasure. All right, thanks, Kelsey, and I'll talk to everybody soon. Yeah.